0: Okay, we are rolling. Today we have David Ross, a.k.a. Retro Saint. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. Of course. So before
0: (laughs) we turned on the microphones, you were asking me how long I've been in Madison for. Yes. I've been in Madison for over a year. Um, When I first moved to town, I was living in East Nashville. But Madison is a very interesting place.
1: Yes, as is East Nashville, but... Madison probably has its own special kind of interesting. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, it definitely does. I mean, uh, so I am also an Uber driver. And when I first became an Uber driver, I had this guy that I gave a ride to, and he wanted to stop to get beer. I picked him up at Mickey's over on uh, Gallatin Pike in East Nashville, and he wanted to stop to get beer. And we stopped, and he was in there forever. And this woman kept coming up to my car telling me how cute I was, asking me if I wanted to go out on a date with her. Clearly a prostitute. Yeah, did it work uh, out? Yeah, and she would know. <laughs> she was wearing uh, a wig, all that shit, clearly cracked out. Yeesh. And then after a couple of minutes, he comes back out and she gets in the car with him. Oh. And we go to a gas station, or a apartment complex right around the corner from where the gas station was that we stopped at so we could get beer. And he gets out she gets out first and he's there talking to me. He gives me like a little nug of weed as a tip. (laughs) And then she, um, yeah, she gets out and he said, uh, she just needs to go to church and get some vegetables and she'll be good as new. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but it ain't good. No, no, it was super, (laughs) it was super dark, but yeah, anyways, Madison, very interesting place to be at. Wow. Um, but you were you moved here pre-flood,
1: yes, in two thousand eight. Because the flood was which year again? Two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. Yeah, I came in two thousand eight before that craziness, and uh, I guess Nashville was just a different place back then. What was it like back then? <laughs> um, gosh, just less insane like <laughs> what it is now. I mean, you still had like Lower Broadway was still. A very happening place but just not to the extent that it is now like there weren't so many rooftop bars there weren't so many um, what do you call it like there was like the pedal tavern the pedal tavern was the only what do they call those things like the mobile bars on wheels that, yeah yeah the pedal tavern yeah now there's so many of those that seems to be one of the biggest things that Nashvilleians are like pissed about but like when I came here, there was only one, and it was the Pedal Tavern. And now that industry has blown up, so that's just one example. Um, but I came for school. Like I, I went to Belmont. Uh huh. And even just that campus has like tripled in size, which you've probably noticed that. Yeah. Everything's just everything's just getting bigger and expanding, and a lot of people are moving here. So I guess that's a good sign.
0: Yeah, I saw um, Belmont. They just recently broke ground. I think they're building a medical school
1: now. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
0: it's it's pretty crazy to think about. Um it just seems like so many things are uh, are coming to Nashville and it's continuing to grow because I mean it it slowed for a minute during the pandemic, but not really. Mm-hmm. Like cuz the whole time I was working, I was driving, just doing whatever I could to survive and People were wanting to come here because of we had the, like the least restrictions of
1: anywhere, right? Yeah, that's I definitely noticed that. <laughs> uh, it seems like uh, they they just left it up to the, every business you know, if they wanted to enforce masks or not. You know, yeah, very different from other cities.
0: Yeah, no, it's one of the reasons I like living in Nashville. You know, at the at the end of the day. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people moving here and all that shit, but I don't necessarily think it's a negative thing. You know, I don't think growth is negative. Um, Plus, wherever there's, like, a good economy, music scenes have always popped up throughout American history, whether it be Memphis, Detroit, like, L.A. and California and that whole thing during the 60s. So I think it's a positive thing. There's so many great artists and bands here, especially in East Nashville, that the more people that are moving here, yeah, there's gonna be some shit, but that means more
1: good musicians as well. Right, right. <clears throat> and Nashville's always been a music city, obviously, but it's becoming more of a music city and just more more diverse just all the time. And and yeah, you're just we're seeing that more with like the types of labels here. Like there's more pop music i'm sitting here on the poptimist podcast yeah <laughs> um which is a great name great name by the way thanks um so yeah i don't know where that was going but
0: <laughs> so have have you always kind of been in like the east nashville scene when you moved here
1: no not at all like east nashville was always just this hip part of town I'd always heard about and would occasionally get over there and check out a bar or hit up, like, five points or something, but I haven't consistently hung out in East Nashville, but I've been trying to get over there more, you know? Um, that's, like, we're going to talk about, like, the record that I'm putting out soon, but that's where I, like, recorded that, and that's where I've been performing a bit over the, over the past couple months. There's some There's some awesome venues, there's more, like, comedy and things like that happening, like, in East Nashville. Probably just in Nashville in general. But um, I actually looked in East Nashville. When, I bought a house in 2017. and But East Nashville was one of the first places I looked. And it was, like like, far east, East Nashville. Like, old suburbs, very quiet, you know. And it didn't end up panning out. But I was, like okay I could I could do this um because a lot of east Nashville is just suburbs you know it is yeah chilled out kind of areas all you really have is Gallatin Pike
0: that's where like everything is and then you have of course like five points in that whole area yeah but it's really just Gallatin Pike and then suburbs on both sides until you get to Dickerson Pike right right um but yeah (laughs) it's uh it's it's funny um just to kind of see everybody like when people come here they they ask about like what are the coolest neighborhoods are right where do the locals hang out I and mean, it's it's like east nashville at least all the people that i know being a musician of course but yeah like. so tell me a little bit about right. this ep that you recorded uh retro saint is going to be also the
1: name of the ep yeah retro saint that's that's like my artist name um, I've, I've released a lot of music under just my actual name, David Ross, over the years, but it was it was a lot of different genres, and this one is more honed in on a particular sound, um, which is like I guess just indie rock with some '80s influence thrown in, and also with the help of like the the producer that I was working with, so. So I started, I started this whole process like working on this EP in like 2018. I was if I could just give like the backstory. Yeah, absolutely. Met the producer. Yeah. Um, So it was produced by Ken Coomer. Ken was the original drummer of the band Wilco, and like one of the founding members. And he he actually played in some bands like before Wilco with Jeff Tweedy. Um, One of them, Uncle Tupelo. Have you heard of them? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's like like the beginnings of Wilco, pretty much. Um, but anyway, like how I came to meet Ken, I was working at a church actually in Bellevue. I have come from like a, a, an upbringing of like being involved in church and church music and that kind of thing. And so like I've I continued um, after I moved here from Pennsylvania. Like I some of that kind of followed me here. And I found myself working at a church in Bellevue, and I was like a worship leader, so I was doing music with a band like at for their for their sunday service and This woman would always come up to me after the service, big music fan, musician herself, and she would always talk music with me after after church, and really sweet lady, she always had a, this little dog with her, it was like her like emotional support dog. It's so, like you always would see Lynn with her dog and so she would come up and talk music and she was like hey i know this this produ- i know this drummer ken he lives in east nashville he's and then she later she mentioned like yeah hey, he he's used to playing wilco and so like i perked up because was like ooh, like i'm a fan like i need to meet ken so she made the introduction um and we just hit it off and we did three songs in 2018 one of those three songs was a song called Love Tremors, which is, like, the first single that I released. And then we did... Me and Ken did a second session, in actually, in 2020, which was a fabulous year. It was, like, December of 2020. So this was, like, the last thing. Like, I, at least I ended 2020 on a high note. Yeah. You know, um, doing doing an EP. And so... Yeah, we did four more songs, and we were chasing the sound of Love Tremors, which is kind of this driving. Um, a friend of mine described it as like kind of like Boys of the summer Boys of Summer, like Don Henley,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: more for the Instagram era, quote unquote, whatever that means. Um, you, you could check out the song yourself, but. Uh, so we were going for that sound with, like, the next four songs. And, yeah, I came out of it with five songs that kind of vibe with each other and could put together as an EP. And I f- thought that'd be a good first release. Well, what I like about the EP
0: is it really has, like, a, a very organic vibe, but it also has, like, a little bit of a, a synthy sound, you know? It's like you have these, like, heavy bass
1: synths or a bass synth pedal or something like that on there, right? Yeah, man, yeah, there's, like, Ken had some analog synths. He's got a lot of instruments in his studio, first of all. And so, like, he had some analog gear, which I can't even remember, like, the makes and models of, of some of them, but... Uh, cool vintage shit. <laughs> cool vintage shit, yes. And then he had, like, some other, like, unique things, like, like a baritone guitar, which I had never even considered using one on a record. Um and I was like, hell yeah! Like, let's get that involved. And then just like some old, some old vintage like bases. And I mean, he's a drummer first and foremost, so he that's that's his bag. And uh, he and he drums on on the whole thing. And uh, yeah, like you said, oh yeah, he's not into like quantizing things and like which I'm so used to being like working in Logic, you know and and having things line up perfectly and having every beat land on, on the bar, that's what I'm used to. Ken, maybe just because he's a little more old school or, like, a lot more old school, <laughs> he he kind of plays around the beat. It's a little more free. That's the organic feel I think you're getting, which I like. Actually, it was a little... made me a little, like, anxious at first, things not being... Perfect. Perfect, yes, timing-wise. And then after all was said and done, and you go back and you listen to it, you're like, oh, this actually has a lot of interesting character and soul to it that I probably would have squashed if I had just done it myself in my bedroom, you know? 100%. Yeah, I
0: think for me, like anytime I'm working on a, a project as a producer, I like kind of doing the same thing. It's like we cut whatever it is we're cutting to a metronome But even if it gets a little bit off or something like that, as long as it's not too bad, I would rather keep it in. I like keeping the Mm. mistakes in and making it feel real because everything is so just fucking, like we were saying earlier, perfect today. Yeah. You know, and I think that element of music, people talk about how new music doesn't feel like old music does, which is true to a certain degree, yes, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think you can combine kind of, the best of both worlds, mm. and mm. I think you successfully
1: did that with this EP. Oh, thanks, man. That that means a lot. Yeah, and that was definitely unintentional. And like I said, I had really mixed feelings about it. And like, because you know, I wasn't just laying down a record with like my buddy. Like, I was hiring this producer and like spending a good amount of money on it. And like, so you want to come out with like the best thing? Like, it's like this high stakes like scenario like to make a recording of any kind that you're investing a lot of money in so uh yeah all that to say like i'm I'm really happy with how it turned out and it's good to, it's good to like take risks and and keep keep the mistakes in occasionally and oh yeah
0: 100 yeah, percent you know you, you listen <laughs> to the old like zeppelin recordings and shit like that and It's stuff that's impossible to duplicate live, but that's also kind of the point, you know what I mean? Because you're not going to be able to duplicate necessarily a mistake you made in the studio. Yeah. And I kind of like that. I like still having the human element while also taking advantage of modern technology. Because at the end of the day, you have to let the players be the players, especially when you're in a scenario where it's like, Maybe it's like a two person band and they're hiring everybody else out, or it's a solo artist and they're filling out the band. You know mm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um but keep the mistakes in and let the let the character shine through of the people who are playing.
1: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah, and like a and Ken, I mean, he just he plays the drums so hard and like with just such a force like i wouldn't like i'm a drummer myself but i can't play the drums like ken and he almost has like a just a very free style of playing where again it's not like every note isn't exactly on the beat but it's i don't know it gives it kind of like a punk kind of flavor which i'm all about that (laughs) yeah
0: i grew up loving punk rock i was huge into like the misfits they
1: were like the band for me cool have you ever done a deep dive on them before no, definitely not. Like, I couldn't really sit here and talk about their music, uh, like, but I had a couple, like, metal friends who loved the Misfits, and my only connection to the Misfits was I used to work for a staging, a stage production company here in Nashville, uh-huh. and we did, like, scenic, like, set design, and, like, when I first got the job, like, the first thing I w- helped work on was, like, a drum riser for the Misfits, And so like I got to talk to like Jerry only on the phone. Really? Oh wow. Just you know, business dealing, like about this drummer. He was
0: telling you what he wanted and all that shit, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Was he a nice guy? Very, very much so. It was like talking to your uncle or something, you know, like
0: That's hilarious. Yeah, Yeah. It's like the Misfits really have two eras. There's the Danzig era, which is the real misfits, and then there's just like they had ten different singers and swapped them out and all of that shit. Which uh, okay.
1: yeah. I'm
0: not a su- super into that, but of course, Danzig he left the Misfits and went on to have like a huge fucking solo metal career. So mm. it's funny you mentioned like your friends that listen to metal like him, yeah, because that's ki- he's kind of like ground zero where punk rock and metal, I think, kind of
1: shake hands and meet. Yeah, that's yeah, that's one of those bands. Like I know they're like an important band, but I I don't really know much of their music. But, what did you and, grow up listening to? Kind of just random, just mishmash of things. Um, Cause, well, I'm trying to think of like, I would have listened to what my sister listened to. Like, I have an older sister, three years older. So, like, when you're a kid, that's a big deal. Three years, like, whatever. I have she, an older sister too. So you I, do, yeah. So you get it, yeah. It's like she's the tastemaker of the house. So, like, she would listen to, like, Blink-182 and Green Day and No Doubt, but then she also listened to The Offspring a lot, which is kind of a little edgier than that other stuff, and, like, I really got into that, and so, I'm trying to think of what else, like, this is random, whatever was big in the 90s. Were you into Weezer? A little
0: bit, Yeah. yeah. I I had a, a phase with all of those bands when I first started playing bass. The reason I started playing bass was because of Green Day. Like American Idiot had just came out. Okay, so they were experiencing this renaissance in their careers. Totally. Um. So they were everywhere, and I got super into that. And then, of course, got into Blink One Eighty Two and just all of that music. I I loved it. Um. And it's it's perfect for that age when you're like fourteen, fifteen. You know. Yeah. Um. But now, I would say, like, every now and then, I'll turn on Blink or Green Day, it, it, but it's more for nostalgia purposes. But when I turn on Weezer, Weezer's still good, you uh. know what I mean? Like, I feel like Weezer, their music was always uh, about shit, and they've had many different interesting phases of their career, mm-hmm. you know? Because they have this stuff, um, like, their, their first album was produced by uh, Rick Ocasek from The Cars, Oh, nice. And he also produced, like, the Green album and a couple other albums after that. Um, But I've I've always loved them. I think that's the one thing I've really hung on to from that time period that I still love today. I would probably say them and the Killers. I was
1: huge into the Killers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've gotten more into the Killers over the years. Like, I wasn't... I'm, like, a late adopter of the Killers. (laughs) Like, I wasn't really into them when, like, Mr. Brightside first came out. But then... Yeah, and they're still releasing records. Yeah, they're still releasing records. And if if you look at them too,
0: their band where it's like they have a greatest hits and you're like, Oh shit, I know every single one of these songs. They're they're in like popular conscious, you know? Um, and it again, to go back to Weezer, it's kind of kind of the same deal with them. And like one of the greatest shows I've ever seen was The Killers when I was living in Colorado. It was for Battleborn, which I think came out. 2012 or 2013 or something like that mm-hmm. um and it was on that tour and i didn't really love that album but that album has some of their best songs on it there's one called from here on out okay. where they they had these great fucking vocal harmonies on it and it, it, they sound like fleetwood mac and mm. i am no fleetwood mac fan like i'm at least no. with the stevie nicks years I'm not, I'm not a fan like i'll listen to the earlier shit when they were kind of shreddy and peter green or whatever his name was was in the band okay um but yeah uh (laughs) the killers they're an interesting band because it's like uh like brandon flowers he made two solo records his first solo record is all right but his second solo record is fucking phenomenal Mm. um the desired effect and uh it just sounded like he was like re-inspired because after battleborn it it I don't know. There was something weird going on with The Killers. Yeah. Had some of their best songs, but as a whole record, it wasn't good. Yeah. Man, I have not heard his solo stuff. Dude, check it out. I think he would yeah. really like his second record a lot. Yeah. Because he kind of does uh, something something similar. I feel like he he's going for that organic sound, but he also is super into 80s music. So there's all these great synths and, and great sounds on it, and he is... An expert at that genre of music that he plays, of course, but he also had a really badass producer on that record, Ariel Rechshide, Okay. who produced, um, he's produced Vampire Weekend, Haim, a couple of other um, bands like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But he's a phenomenal producer, oh, man. I got to check that out. Yeah. And I got to see them live. I've never seen them live. They are 100% <laughs> worth seeing live.
0: Cause Because yeah. it, it's kind of like, it's similar to the Foo Fighters, too. I would say they're another band okay. that's like that, where it's yeah. like every fucking song is like, oh, shit, this was a hit. It was like everywhere when it came out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you mention the Foo Fighters, it's like a sad subject now. I am But I'm, I'm glad to say that I did... Get to see them one time is when they played at Bridgestone here in Nashville. Was it badass? It was badass for sure, but it was a little extra badass because you probably remember when Dave Grohl had the broken leg. Yeah. and He he was on the throne. He was on the throne. Of guitars. Yes, and he did the show with a cast from the throne, and he was all just 110% energy like the whole show. Yeah. I've never seen a front man go that hard, I don't think. So I don't know if he was overcompensating because of the leg or if he's just always like that, but it was good. Dude, I wonder what's
0: going to happen with him now. Of course, what you were referring to earlier is the death of their longtime drummer, Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. Um, it's like, how do you continue the Foo Fighters? You know what I mean? I feel like the, they will but I feel like it's mm. going to be a long time before they come back, if they come back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a fan, I'm a fan but like I don't I don't follow them like super closely. But have they announced like they're taking a hiatus or anything like that?
0: Well, they said
1: after because uh,
0: Taylor Hawkins he died
1: like in a hotel room, I think in
0: Brazil or something like that. Yeah,
1: somewhere in South America. Like, yeah, I forget.
0: he overdosed, which is super fucking sad. At least yeah. that, allegedly, that's what like some of the news reports that I saw said. Yeah. Um but they they just had posted a message saying that they were going home to like grieve with each other and their families, sure. you
1: know. Sure.
0: And I guess at one point he had gotten sober for a really long time, but he just fell back into
1: the old ways of mm. whatever his poison was. Right, right. Man. Yeah. It sucks when I mean I guess, like, rock stars getting into drugs isn't the most surprising thing, but I don't know. A guy like Taylor Hawkins, to me, always seemed not, like, not straight edge, but, like... Like he didn't have oh, demons. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, like he, he was above it or something, but I don't know. I also don't know what it's like to be on tour with a famous band and, like, the rigors of, of that journey. So, like, I have just total sympathy for him, so...
0: I don't think I could ever live, like, the lifestyle of the road. I I wouldn't be down for it. Like, recently, um, I've kind of been taking a step away from, well, I am taking a step away from playing live because a lot of what I've done since I've been in Nashville has been the podcast, and I'm also kind of a side man. So I played Mm. for the Weird Sisters and Violent Moons and a bunch of other random artists over the years as a bass player. Yeah. And I loved it. I absolutely loved the music I played, but I had to get real with myself and ask like long-term like if one of these bands got an offer tomorrow to go out on the road to open for Jack White or whatever, is it something that I would want to do mm. to go on the road? And I said to myself, no. And I was like, well, if that's the case, then I shouldn't keep continuing down this path. I had to, uh, to get relative with myself mm. and really observe if, um, the, where I was heading was actually where I was putting my time at is where I wanted it to go. And it's been a strange couple of months for me cause I've been slowly been dropping stuff and just kind of, uh, chilling, you know, and I, I haven't really done that since I've lived here. Yeah. It's always been go, 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 you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's, Way to be self-aware. <laughs> That's really great. Oh, dude. I, I would say, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, part of it's self-awareness, but it's just the idea of making a bunch of mistakes. I think yeah. nothing can really trade experience. You know, I, I'm, I moved to Nashville when I was 23, about to be 24. Mm-hmm. And when I first got here, I knew it was going to be a long road to tell. I knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. Sure. Um, But, you know, eventually you start meeting people and you find your tribe of friends and you find some allies. You cross a few of your own demons along the way. Your demons personified even. Yeah. Um, And I think it's just healthy to take a step back and really observe
1: whatever it is that you're doing. I think so too. And then that opens up space to do like other things like podcasting or you know, art or planting shit in your backyard, I <laughs> got whatever you're into, you yeah. know, like it yeah, it just it just opens up a lot of creative space, I feel like or I mean has it for you. Have you been able to like explore other interests? Well, yeah, I mean a big part of it was
0: I'm going to have some of my own solo music coming out that I've, I've gotten to record and yeah. that's something I want to explore more of. But right now I'm, I'm really just honestly chilling. Yeah. Which is just <laughs> something that's antithetical to what I always believed I would do. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways I feel like I was forced into this break and I feel that sometimes you have to choose something that makes you uncomfortable because things were going really well with everybody that I was playing with and I have zero mm. complaints about any of that. Yeah. But I had to make a decision and I was like, do I want to keep going down this path? Um mm-hmm. it's funny because last year I started asking myself like I, I how can I spend 40 days in the desert? Like what can I do? Mm. And of course, there was a lot of other things that happened that led to this decision, but, uh, I got the 40 days and then some, you know what I mean? Hmm. It was like, I had this moment where I, I asked the universe, God, whatever. I was like, just give me that 40 days in the desert. Cause I want to know myself more. I think, I think that's important too. Like, as I'm, hmm. I'm starting to try and do more of my own solo music, I want to, uh, I don't know. I just I wanna I wanna be able to, to write songs that are the, the truest form of myself.
2: Mm,
1: I like that, man. Yeah. You're really putting in the work to like access those parts of yourself that let you make really good art. So I don't I mean it, it it's intentional.
0: It. Like you as much as I can say it is intentional, all of the consequences and ripple effects that happen from it you never know what, what's that going to be, of course. What, what it's going to be. So I feel like I'm in a phase where I'm just reacting to everything happening now because that's all I can really do. And it's like some days yeah. I'm up, some days I'm down. Um, sure. But I, I know the most important thing for me to do right now is just recharge because I was going so fucking hard where six or seven nights a week I was booked doing stuff. And then on top of that, I was trying to drive for Uber and Lyft just so I could pay my bills. Yeah, yeah. And it just got to a point to where I was spread so thin and giving so much of myself away that I didn't have a social life at all. Oh, man. You know? I mean, and of course doing music, and you know this, when you're doing music, you're around all of your friends most of the time. Right. And you're like chilling with people that you really like that and you're working on stuff you really care about. So it's a little bit, seductive in a way for it was for me to just keep saying yes to things. Cause I was around mm. all my friends. Um, mm-hmm. and it's been a different situation for me now that I'm just like home chilling at night, watching baseball games. <sighs>
1: and that's really it. Yeah. Is that sort of what, is that sort of how the, the podcast came to be was during that kind of break or, um, it- it was during a time of desperation. Uh yeah.
0: I had just impulse quit a job I was working. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I didn't I wasn't doing anything with myself. I was this was a summer of 2015, or okay. twenty fifteen. Or 2016. sixteen. Twenty it was the summer of twenty sixteen. Gotcha. Because the election was going on and now that twenty twenty happened, I feel like people they lose sight of the summer of 2016 and how angry it was in general.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Because there were so many angry people back then just freaking the fuck out over nothing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I started the podcast back then because a, I wanted to promote the music that I thought was good. That no one was that maybe the traditional methods wouldn't give a chance to of like record labels or any of that shit i was like sure. there's good people out there that aren't getting attention uh maybe because they don't have a huge social media presence or whatever yeah and I i figured okay if i start the show this is a way for me to release my music and my friend's music that way people actually hear it yeah, yeah. and it's on our terms because it, it's Interesting too, doing the show because people are listening to you talk before they most of the time before they ever he- even hear you play a note of music, right? So they're getting a vibe for you before they hear it, and I think that's interesting too. That like that's one of the the cool things that podcasting provides.
1: Yeah, I, I love it, man. Um, I've actually so I used to be a, a co-host of a podcast. And it was when I was working at that church. I, th- I don't. I, yeah, I talked about the church. Right? Yeah, you talked about the church. Yeah. So part of my job there was to co-host this podcast, and we had it was me and like the the lead pastor, um, this woman who, um, she was the lead pastor there, and then we had this show called Uprising, and it was just like a kind of variety thirty minute podcast. But the cool thing was that it was aired on like hippie radio, like ninety-four point five. Like Hippie Radio's great. Yeah. Yeah, so we had a slot on Sunday mornings. It was right before like the service. Like they would air our show. And we did that for like a six month period. Which is cool. Like it wasn't it wasn't live. Um, which I don't know. I don't I probably would have been super nervous to do like a live on on the air type thing. But no, we got to record it in the studio and like that was that was pretty fun, but I've never been I've never been a guest just on a podcast like this.
2: Well, so I'm it's, honored. It's, then.
1: it's fun, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, man. I've been a guest
0: on a couple of shows. It's funny too because I've I've recorded this this will be episode I think 139, if yeah. I, I have my numbers correctly. So I've just been impressive recording these and putting them out and. I don't really listen back to him. I try not to think about it. Yeah. There's this great interview with, um, Larry King where someone asks him, like, do you ever listen back to your, your interviews or anything like that? And he says, no, I, I lived it. He's like, if I said something stupid in the moment, then I know. Uh, and I, uh, that, that's something that always really inspired me. Cause I, I mean, I have to listen to the show to edit it, but, um, yeah, I feel like I'm getting super super meta inside inside baseball talk right now. It's probably boring, people. <laughs> Let's get back to talking about your music career. Okay, so yeah. you had a, a solo career before where you just were releasing music under your name. You said it was a lot of different genres, all yeah. of that. So what was the the like the moment where you were like, "I'm gonna be
1: retro saint"? Why retro saint? Oh man. When was that? When was that moment? <laughs> gotta go back in, in history. Um, yeah, I was really seeing like a lot of different music. I was playing, or I was making a lot of like YouTube videos. I was doing cover songs. I had some film friends, but back in college, who helped, helped me shoot some like pretty decent quality videos. And this this was more in the era of like the like the YouTube era when people pre TikTok pre-TikTok for sure when people were getting famous on YouTube and I, I never even came close but I was still getting way more traction just posting on Facebook like I would get a, a couple thousand views just just from um, um, what do you call it just organic posting on Facebook Would you can't do that now like
0: the algorithm's <laughs> not
1: good anymore. It's not, no. So, yeah, that that kind of changed that game. I think YouTube's still important now for artists. But, um, so, like, doing that for a while, like, during college and then the stuff with the church and I could talk about, I was part of a reality show and we were talking about 2016. What was the reality show? <laughs> like, like We'll take a pause here and talk about that. but So in 2016, there was a reality show that was produced here in Nashville. It was called American Supergroup. Does that ring any bells? No, I've never heard of it. Which channel was it on? It's okay. Nobody's heard of it because it was kind of a failure in the end. Uh, (laughs) It was on Pop TV, which was the network that, like, Shits Creek was on originally. Okay. I've heard of Pop TV. It's like... I don't even know like where it's from but um yeah it was like a battle of the bands reality show that filmed here and had a celebrity panel of judges who were the panel of judges so it was this guy Aloe Black Oh yeah I know who Aloe Black is Yeah great singer so good he was my he was most people's favorite yeah judge and then there was L King Oh wow She's kind of big yeah. here. She's um Rob Schneider's daughter. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Who like who would know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so random. Uh, Jennifer Nettles. I don't know who Jennifer Nettles she, is. She's a country star. Like, okay. She's, she's huge in, in country music. And she's awesome too. Um and then Jason Sheff, who was like one of the bass players for Chicago, which <laughs> is so random. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he was like friends with one of the producers. Like I think that's why he was involved. But any, yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, like we got we had to audition and everything and Were you in a band at this time? No, I was not. I okay. was like a free agent looking for looking to take over the world. <laughs> um yeah, so like but I I was just doing my own thing and, and working and Um, this seemed like the perfect thing to get into. And yeah, it only took up a couple months of my life and um, they aired five episodes and they ended up canceling the pilot before they finished the season, which sucked because we were all... So I got put in this band. It was a pop group, so there were different genres. They would would form bands on the show based on uh, the styles of you know, all of us and our abilities and how we meshed with each other. So they sort of let us just hang out and, like, sort of organically form, kind of find each other on on the show. So I didn't know these other guys, you know? So I ended up being a part of a pop group. We were called Royal Parkway, named after a a road in Nashville somewhere here. (laughs) And we would write an original song every week and then perform it, like, on the show. And so did
0: you guys have backing musicians, or was it, like, one guy played drums, one guy played guitar, one guy played bass?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we all, like, covered all the instruments. Like, okay. I, I was the keyboardist. Right? Oh, okay, cool. Like, keys and, and and background vocals. And so, like, it was it was cool, and, like, there was a lot of great songs, I feel like, came out of that show. And I made some really good friends that I'm still tight with now because of that show um but there was no like dramatic reality tv element to it which is why it got got canceled i think so but actually there was some more shady shit going on with like the finances and like because people didn't get paid for a lot of work that they did so that like was, the
0: contestants on the
1: show or like, like everybody, the, everybody 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 okay. involved got screwed so that's, that's why, like, it's this such a bittersweet story of my life. Like, it's sort of like my 15 minutes of fame story, but it, like, wasn't, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it was successful in, a, in its own right, and I would, I, I would do it again, you know? Well, I think
0: right. there's so many of those moments whenever you are, like, uh, trying to do something entertainment-related. Yeah. Where something seems like a great opportunity on the surface and, like, the ball is rolling, everything's going so well. There's a bunch of people blowing smoke up your ass about it. Oh, yeah. And then, all of a sudden, you just get an email one day or a very impersonal phone call where they're like, yep, uh, this is over. We're not doing it anymore. Sorry.
1: And that's exactly how it felt. Yeah. And they just didn't give a fuck, right? Completely. Yeah. But they... They made us believe that they gave a fuck like the whole time. You know they were very good at like I don't know just blowing smoke.
0: <laughs> That's what the machine does well. You know I think yeah. I love I love music, but I don't like the music business. You know I I think I, I feel yeah. out of sorts in it sometimes because at the end of the day, like I'm a creative type, and I I'm not really I don't want to be out there shaking hands with people and all that shit the most important thing for me has always been having a good reputation with other musicians Mm -hmm. especially being a bass player you know um you just want to be the guy who's the most reliable that's Mm -hmm. what my aim always was you know i'm I'm not i'm not the best player by any means but if you're going into battle and you need
1: someone to go with you um, i'll do it i've (laughs) got anything else going on nice yeah i like that man and it's not like you have to be involved in like big business or with anybody shady or guys in business suits at, at labels to be involved in the music industry. Like it could literally just be you putting a show together at this club in East Nashville. Like that that could be your version of the music industry. You 100%. Know? Yeah,
2: it's Absolutely.
1: Wh- it's wherever people want to be and eat up the culture that you're pushing or whatever, you you know, so. I feel like what East Nashville does,
0: like, in particular, like, well is um, the whole DIY scene. I really feel like it's a DIY scene. It's just everybody working
1: together and trying to help each other out. Yeah, I get that vibe. Definitely. Uh, Like, is it, isn't there some, like, collective artists, space over there. It's like a rehearsal space. Where, yeah, I, that, I, th- I, I think it's called or.
0: home or something like that, maybe. Yeah. So that's based in
1: East Nashville. Yeah. My okay. uh
0: my buddy Gerard Longo, he has a a podcast called The Quin Spin and he okay. reco- he records over there. Oh nice. Yeah. Um he also runs underground music collective. Go check uh go check Gerard out if you're listening to this. He's a real cool guy. Um, um but yeah um there there is definitely something I think to be said for musicians teaming up together. Cause it's, it's again, you know, like I've never been one of those dudes that are like, I wish it was still 1976, (laughs) you know, it's just not my vibe. I know I knew before I moved to Nashville that that time had come to pass. And -hmm. what makes it special is that it existed once there was a golden era. There is no arguing against that. But I think today, artists have so much more control over their careers and the direction that they can head in, which is scary because you don't, like, I don't know how to get fucking followers on TikTok or any of that bullshit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But there are ways for people to hear your music and there's
1: ways for you to connect with them.
0: Right. Which I think is the most important thing.
1: Yeah, and we're all, like, still navigating it and figuring it out. Cause it's like all the bands we listened to growing up that we are all still trying to be like, like they, the music business was completely different for them, and like, I don't know, like somebody was like I was, I think I was talking to Ken Coomer about like Tom Petty and how like there's never gonna be another one, like for sure, because I don't know, and then he's he was getting really into like some of the business dealings behind Tom Petty and like, cause he's you know he knows shit from being in a legit band and he was like yeah that's not going to happen again because because of the way labels are run now it's completely different nobody wants to take risk anymore that has that's another piece of it well uh, labels are like a a bank
0: yeah and they're only going to bet on sure things you know they're not they're, right. they're going to try and bet on a mcdonald's you know what i mean they'll give more money to fucking mcdonald's which is just like a pop star or whatever um which is fine but then you look at people like wolfpack they should be everybody's number one inspiration right now as far as their business model goes yeah because they do things right are you familiar with wolfpack at all not really no dude enlighten me (laughs) uh so wolfpack their music is fucking awesome firstly they're killer players It's almost like a throwback sound to Motown or something like that. They have a very, like, hi-fi sound. Yeah. But the one thing that they did that I've always loved is they released this album called Sleepify on Spotify, and they told their fans, go stream this. But it was completely silent. There was no music. It was, like, 10-second tracks or 15-second tracks, and they said stream this while you sleep it's for while you sleep and there was no sound or anything and basically what they did is they hacked into the basically what the business model is of spotify and use that to fund a tour
1: that was entirely free wow yeah (laughs) like what So, oh, wait, how did people react to... Like, did they know the, that the tracks were just silenced? They knew they were trolling, and they also knew oh. that they were
0: going to get to see them for free live. Oh. So the fans were into it. I see. I don't know. I know there was, like, some fallout with Spotify. I think they had to change their rules or whatever based yeah. on
1: that. <laughs> but it's genius. Yeah, they, like, outsmarted Spotify.
0: Yeah, exactly. I
1: love that. Which, if
0: you really look at it, Now, the the new record label is really like the Spotify playlist. Yeah. Those are more, like, it's super coveted to get on one of these playlists. Yeah. um, Which is both a good and bad thing. I think it's a good way for people to be introduced to you with music that's similar to you. But it's just the process of trying to do the whole thing as an independent artist when a lot of artists aren't business savvy. You know, they're True. creative types. They just want to express themselves so yeah. the business doesn't come naturally to them, Yeah, which is why you look back at history, all of our favorite artists from the 70s, whether it's Rolling Stones, David Bowie, whoever, um, they, they all had been screwed early on in their careers and they really didn't start making
1: like big money until the 80s. Mm. I, I mean, I definitely believe that. Sounds like you know way more about it. <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, I think it's important to uh, to understand
0: the way that the, the the business changes. Um, and yeah. now it's because it, back when I was growing up, like MySpace was a great way for bands to get discovered. Oh, for sure. You look at like Arctic Monkeys or. My Chemical Romance or all of them, like they were really MySpace bands. That that's how they blew up so early. It's like a, kind of like the um, the Malcolm Gladwell
1: Outliers thing. Have you ever read that book before? I haven't read Outliers, but I'm I've started The Tipping Point. Okay. So So the
0: whole thing with outliers is like the 10,000 hour rule. That's one of the things in the book. You have to spend 10,000 hours mastering your craft. Sure. Yeah. But it also depends on things like, like it talked about Bill Gates in the book and how he had, he was born at a certain time and he was able, like right when he was going to school, he was 13 or 14 or some shit like that. And they had a computer program at his school. I think back in the, early 70s or something like that. Hmm. So he was super young and getting to work on computers, so he already had an aptitude for that, Hmm. and then he was able to start those 10,000 hours
1: young. Yeah. So he had a little bit of a leg up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Man. So we're we're about to be podcasting in the dark here. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Should I turn on a light? If that's cool, man. Yeah, of course. Otherwise... My brain's going to think it's, like, bedtime. No, you're good. (laughs)
0: Um, So,
1: yeah, talk about your show at uh, Bowery Vault. Okay. Yeah, I'll be playing a full set, uh, full band, 30-minute set at the Bowery Vault in East Nashville, which has become one of my favorite uh, places to play in Nashville. It's, like, these two chicks from New York City... um, Emily and Vero are their names. And they, yeah, they started the Bowery Vault. It's, like, half um, vintage clothing store, half venue. And so, and it's a very nice stage. And they have, like, a weekly open mic that is really good production, sounds good, like, very supportive community. It's a good place to go, like, if you're new to Nashville or, like, you just want to, like, try out a new song where people are actually going to listen, like, Barry Vault is the shit, so I was like, "This is gonna be a good place to do a release show," um, and yeah, I got it booked with, and I got two other artists on the bill. There's this husband and wife duo called Plastic Angels. I played a show with them before. <laughs> really? Yeah, I nice. played with them at the Cobra. Oh, okay. Uh, with Violent Moons, so they were they were on the bill. Um, but keep going. Nice. Yeah, they're great. And then uh, this, this young kid, uh, David Arvisu, he's like singer-songwriter, kind of like Ed Sheeran vibes. Oh, okay. He, he does like a loop station. Yeah, nice, cool. Yeah, he just moved here, and, you know, he's, he's taken Nashville by storm, like everyone else. So. <laughs> yeah, so
0: it's, uh, it's scary when you first move
1: here and you don't know anyone yeah and I've never done that out like because I came here for college, so like I kind of got plugged in right away, so I haven't done like was that what you sort of did You came you, here on you, your own yeah I just came here on my own you know I
0: didn't um I didn't know anybody my my first experiences playing music was out at this blues jam on Tuesday nights at the uh the country it used to be or I can't remember if it's the country or the local now.
1: I remember that place.
0: Yeah, over by Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played just there. There's plenty of times where I just sounded like dog shit.
1: Yeah.
2: But
0: I meant, because like, the players there, there's guys who have been playing for 40 fucking years, and they sound phenomenal. And you can't, you never be able to touch them as a player because they have that much more experience than you. Right. So you're getting up on stage with all these people who it's like, are here in their off time or they have an off night um, and they're just out playing three blues songs out at a jam with their buddies. (laughs) And then you come up, you know, I came up as a little 23-year-old not knowing anyone. Um, Shout out to Kara Littman who ran that jam. But she was always very supportive and encouraging even when I fucked up. And I think that that's what really helped me. Um, It's like, even when I know I did a bad job, it's like, when you get off stage you either know like you know when you've done a bad job yeah like even even if you've played all the nights the notes correctly you can be like yeah that was okay but you know when you did a bad job when, especially as a bass player when you're like bombing notes and shit <laughs> and everybody knows and everybody in the audience knows <laughs> um, So that was a valuable experience for me. And then the other place that I played a lot was on Wednesday nights. There's this place called Pop Attorneys out on Percy Priest Lake. Have you ever been there before? No. It's amazing, dude. And the house That's band true. is this band called Three Bean Soup, and they are super badass. <laughs> um, cool. cool. It's these these guys, uh, Terry Goose Downing, Don Kendrick, and Patio O'Dadio, and they... They play like this New Orleans Louisiana style blues funk, okay. So like meters inspired, kind of just funky stuff like that. But um, that's a great place too, because like even if there's a twelve year old kid and he's never played like live before, they'll throw him up on stage. Yeah. Plus the barbecue is amazing. The food <laughs> is incredible. Nice. So. There's a lot of reasons to check that out. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's just a good time. But yeah, I know when I when I first moved here, those are some really valuable experiences I had. And then along the way, I just came introduced to like the East Nashville scene, you know, because it's like even when you're out playing at the jams or whatever, people are really just trying to sniff you out and see what you're like. And like hmm. if you're trustworthy, you know, um, like if you're going to show up prepared, can they recommend you for a gig?
1: Stuff like that. Oh yeah, like all the little the little things, yeah that matter, yeah man. that matter greatly. <laughs> yeah, because you are dealing with musicians, man. Like <laughs> they could be like the laziest people on the earth. <laughs> Often, they, oftentimes they are. <laughs> right, sleeping in till noon, and <laughs> or they could be the most like organized people. It's yeah, like, and everything in between. But, uh, dude, I know that feeling of like. Feeling like everyone in the room is better than you, and I still, I still deal with this one, and I guess it's a form of like imposter syndrome, but like as a musician. And I've been playing my whole life, and I'm like classically trained on piano, and and drums, and uh, I've been, you know, I'm a studied like musician, but I've had like so much failure that's come in a lot of different forms, and and all those little insecurities. Kind of get amplified in in Nashville if I can make a music pun, um you know what I mean though, like yeah. because so many talent so much talent is here, and yeah absolutely and i've had I've had my share of like not great auditions and i i could I could tell stories about those, but uh I just I know that feeling of like, oh shit, like everyone in the room's better than me like what am i what am I doing here like what am I thinking <laughs> you know
0: yeah, I think a big part of it, too, is just um, your approach. Because it's like even times where I've shit myself on stage or in a, <laughs> a potential thing, if I had a good attitude with you and the people are acting like human beings
2: yeah,
0: uh, and they're forgiving, they'll, they might give you another chance just because you had a good attitude. They're like, this guy is a good player. Because you can tell when someone's like, there's a difference between someone who is like a player and someone who plays an instrument if mm. that makes sense.
1: Mm. Yeah. You mean someone that just does it in their sleep pretty much like as a hired gun or something that can just nail it every time versus someone that's more playing for the love of it or writing their own stuff or something. Well,
0: it can be it can really be both those things like as a as a player player but like yeah. just someone who is doing it for the glory. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I feel like those are the people that play an instrument. They're not necessarily a player player, but that's me being an elitist
1: musician. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you see you definitely see all of that in Nashville. Uh
0: there's a full spectrum here.
1: Yeah. So where can people find you at? So, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Retro Saint songs on Instagram, and I'm also on Facebook, and I'm on YouTube, and it's all under Retro Saint. So I think I'm the only Retro Saint out there. And then on, I have a single out right now on Spotify. It's called a Love Tremors. It's like a, kind of the lead single to this whole project, and you can hear like Ken's Ken Coomer's production on that. You can hear him drum on that track. So give that a listen. And then the whole EP will be dropping on June 10th. Same day as the show. Same day as the show. At Bowery Vault. At Bowery Vault. Awesome. Well, here is Love Tremors by
0: Retro Saint. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
2: Scars Beneath My Shirt As Long As You Don't See It Doesn't Hurt Just The Same You Pass The Blade I Spill My Guts With My Back Against The Wall All In All It Shook Me Up But I Can't Get Enough And This Is The Way I Know And This Is The Way Love Tremors, find an open space. Love tremors, you and me, but don't erase me. Please don't.